0: Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we talk about two of the greatest art forms known to humanity. You guessed it, beer and movies. Sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to watch the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I am one of your uh, semi buzzed, slightly inebriated <laughs> co hosts. Pre gaming hosts. Uh, uh, Carlos Cooper with me as always. Joe Hilliard. And Dave Gurney. And we are going to get straight into it. We have. Uh, programmed an episode for you that was uh, normally we kind of let the movies steer our, our decision making but this one we've a, a beer has let us a, a collection of beers have led us down a path of films absolutely yeah um so just to fill our listeners in, I
1: think our listeners have heard before. If you if you're loyal, um, that <laughs> I I happen to work at a university, uh, and Carlos is an alum of that very same university. That university is Texas A and M University Corpus Christi. Uh, go Ders! Uh, there you go, Islanders are our mascot, and we have or is it Izzy's the mascot? I don't know. It still, still is terminology. It still is. Yeah, yeah. Um, Izzy the Islander, right? So. What what our school did recently that I thought was pretty cool was they partnered with a couple local alums who are uh, running breweries now in town, um, both breweries that we've featured on the podcast before. I didn't know they were alumni. They are, yeah. Cool. Um, Jessica from Lazy Beach, which we'll have in the second half, uh, is an alum of uh, A&M Corpus Christi. Corey might be, too. I'm not 100%, but I'm, I'm pretty sure Jessica is. And... I think uh, I'm not 100% on who it is from Lorelei, but I think it might be that newer uh, co-owner who who maybe had gotten his degree there. Yeah, cool. Uh, But the point is they partnered with them and came up with a couple nice, easy drinking beers to do in partnership that would sort of get the Islander seal of approval, so to speak. Uh, We're going to drink both of them this episode. So like Carla said, we're we're kind of, uh, we're letting that steer our selection. You'll hear more about that in just a moment when Joe introduces us to our first film for today. But uh, right now we need to get something in our glass. And that's going to be the Lorelei Brewing Company edition of this Islander beer. And this one is actually called... Shaka blonde, or I think actually when I was in the tap room they had it listed as shakas up, and shakas are that like hand gesture where uh, I I mean I think that goes beyond the island. Oh yeah, yeah. it's
0: it's, I mean it's a general. It's a surf thing, thing, right? It's
1: it's kind of a surf uh, city. So uh, this shaka blonde, it's I believe a riff on their blonde ale that they already have. Which oh my gosh, I should have remembered that. Is it a
0: is I it? think it's the crisis, right? Christ, the crisis. Crisis. I, 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 I always mispronounce like it. It's like K-H-R-E-Y, yeah. and I lose it from there. But, but what they've
1: <laughs> done with this recipe that's distinctly different is that they have added lime and salt to it to give it that true kind of tropical island vibe, is what I think they're aiming for. Yeah, it sounds like it. So we're going to get this open. We're going to get it in our glasses. And like I said, I have not had it out of the bottle yet but i did get to go to the tap room and taste some fresh off that keg and uh i I won't tip my hand yet but i'm gonna get some of this in my glass but you did bring it to the show
0: i did i still was wanting to do it i know it's not horrible all right let's hope not Um, i mean it could be horrible and it would be something to talk about but uh this is what our sixth lorelei so they are for sure in the five timers club yeah We've had them uh, many a time. We had Varian on yeah. episode fifty-four. Sounds right. Or 57? fifty-seven. 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 Okay. Talked about Princess did. Bride. We inter- right. we uh, we had a discussion with him about beer. Did some wide-ranging discussion. Wide-ranging discussion. Fun stuff. Go back and listen to it, folks. Yeah. And then the last time that we had them, I did all this research myself. By the way, Joe had nothing to do with it. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> the, to, the last Joe time we did had nothing them here. Was episode eighty-five, I believe. If uh, I got the number wrong, it's Vertigo. We. Uh, inexplicably paired Vertigo with the Mer Dude, which is their kind of like chocolate milk stout. Maybe uh, we just felt like for Vertigo, we wanted to be
1: drunk. <laughs> yeah, we beard. were just like, fuck it. We'll <laughs> we're going with the high octane. Um, we're not going to, yeah, yeah.
0: So long history with, with Lorelei. They've been around for a while. First to can in Corpus. That was a big They a were, big absolutely. First, first to get local, them out into the, yeah. In our local craft beer culture. Well, um, if you've
2: got two beers that are school, university related. Right. It only makes sense to talk about two movies that are about the college experience or adjacent to Right, right. So when you look at these lists, right, these stupid online lists about the best college movies back to school starring Rodney Dangerfield is on every single one of them. Now, whether or not it deserves to be on that list, we might get into here in just a minute. But if I was putting together a perfect 80s movie, I would have... In it, it would be a comedy, a little bit of John Hughesy type love interest stuff going on. Um, I'd get you know Burt Young because he's from Rocky. <laughs> uh, I'd get Keith Gordon because he was in The Legend of Billy Jean. That's right. I'd get Adrian Barbeau. Wait, wait,
0: that's not what we know Keith Gordon from.
2: Is that really your point of reference for Keith? We'll get there. We'll get
0: there. I just I don't know what to I don't know what to say to that.
2: I know where you're going. We will get there. Uh, I'll we'll go head to head with you on what we should know Keith Gordon from. Adrian Barbeau is in the film. Robert Downey Jr. is in the film. Uh, Sam Kinison, the, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, comedic like stand-up comedy guy, oh, and he
1: was on fire in, in that moment. Sure, yeah. Ned Beatty. Sam Kenison.
2: Sam Kenison, yeah. Uh, But of course, it it is a Rodney Dangerfield starring vehicle, right? On the heels of it, not right after, but after the heels of the success of his wacky, rich guy character that knew one-liners and insults better than anybody in Caddyshack, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: where can we put Rodney Dangerfield to make some more money? And uh, Back to School is what they came up with. Um, oh, I should also say Sally Kellerman is in the movie Hot Lips Houlihan from the original MASH. I have a lot to Mu- say about that. Music by Danny Elfman, Oingo Boingo his band appears in On the film. Screen. There's plenty of sex capades, although I don't think there's any nudity, but there's hot There B- is no... nudity. Is... <laughs> it, it,
0: it, yeah, very notable. Oh, you're, right, you're right. You're <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. You're right.
2: Although I do think it still gets the
1: PG-13. I think this was from the era of uh we're still okay with pg-13 a, with no a, quick, breasts. Yeah, a yeah. quick
2: flash of breasts yeah. usually in a shower because 16 candles did the they exact did the same, same thing, thing. that yeah. was pg it was pg was it wow I, when did they invent pg-13 it
0: was, it was after right temple of
2: doom was uh, the thing that,
1: and that was 84 i think you're right and so this was, so so this was 86 yeah. and
2: also the bad guy in the movie or the jerky kind of jock uh, frat guy william zabka so right come on who's Billy you know, Zab's. if we were recording this like four or five
1: years ago, people would be like, "Wait, who was that?" But I think but now with Cobra Kai, the star yeah. of one of he, the biggest streaming series, people around. know Billy
2: Zabka pretty well. And weren't. and the story couldn't be more simple. Ronnie Dangerfield follows Thornton Mellon, a self-made millionaire who owns a chain of kind of big and tall, big and fat, yeah, tall and fat tall and, it's called, fat, tall and thing. fat, yeah, uh, stores. Did you guys watch this movie? <laughs> well, I was trying. I was trying to be. I was trying to adjust things to current. You're time trying to vernacular. make a
1: film that's decidedly trying to be un-PC and a sure. pc experience yeah. yeah when he
2: finds out that his wife is having an affair he divorces her and goes to try to reconnect with his son from his first marriage played by Keith Gordon Keith thank Gordon. you yeah. from the legend of Billie Jean David <laughs> and uh, only from yeah. the- <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> well, it ended almost all right after that right? um and then he um decides that when he finds out his son is going to drop out of school because he's not finding a place, he says, let's do it together because we're melons. So he yeah. enrolls in school, buys his way into immediate enrollment. Right. And then the... Uh, and then I guess because, you know, he's an immig- his immigrant story is, is really touched on and that he's made all of this money, his whole attitude is life's a party. And everywhere he goes, he tries to create the party from the campus bookstore to the the parties in his uh, – to, to his sort of – renovated dorm yeah. that that <laughs> breaks down several walls and right combines right right that. and we learned that money can buy almost anything you want to if you're Thornton Mellon except until he gets in the crosshairs of the mean old economics professor who demands that he uh takes that he earn his grades or yes. else get kicked out of the school that's back to school was so, a yeah, love thing with the son and a girl, and you know, other and a love thing with uh, Thornton Mellon
1: and, yeah, the, and Sally uh, Kellerman, yeah, right. the Dr. The Diane, Turner. literature professor.
2: Yeah, yeah. So back to school, 1986, on all of the lists. So we know, we know
1: Carlos is going to be the new wait, you're the newcomer, right? You hadn't seen this. No, I'd seen it. You had seen it, okay. I'd seen right. it like on cable or whatever. Okay. You know. Yeah, I mean, this, this is a film that takes up. A large amount of real estate in my young mind (laughs) because of how many times I saw this film, probably from 1987 to 1989, 1990-ish. It was a regular fixture on probably HBO. It was a big box office hit. Yeah, yeah, no, it did. I didn't see it in the box
0: office. Yeah, I was I was eight when it. I'm came out. I'm just saying, people
2: liked this movie, and they continued to like it up until even now.
0: Yeah, right. they made it for what eleven million, and it grossed like ninety or yeah. something like that. And so ninety one. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, almost uh, ten, almost made ten times its budget, which is impressive. I mean, we're past that now, right? Like, we don't live in an era where you can sell a comedy on the strength of like a like a comedic figure right in this the is definitely role.
1: that's a good point this is a comedian comedy this is like we're that, making joe presented it that way this is a vehicle for dangerfield dangerfield is a comic entity
2: if you liked what he did in caddyshack he's gonna do more of that here i he's, mean
0: he's essentially just doing stand-up like throughout the film there's little more to his character <laughs> than that i mean he's like walking through the halls going hey yeah what's going on yeah yeah, what yeah. <laughs> and he's like and he's like doing one-liners just like yes for for no reason. I mean, other than the fact. Other that, than he's funny. Other and- than the fact that he's. <laughs> other than the fact that he's a comedian, and you're supposed to like find his character to be charismatic. Yeah. And you know, a big. Are personality you gonna poke, Are you whatever. gonna poke a
1: hole in uh, my my balloon here for back to school? <laughs> Uh, I mean, yeah, because you love this movie, right? I I have great fondness for this film. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, I for one thing, I love Rodney Dangerfield. I
0: think he is. See, I'm kind of. I think I think I'm out on him. I think I I think I I I understand what a brilliant comic he is Mm. from like a joke writing perspective and like a performance of Mm -hmm. stand up perspective. I, it's just. We've gotten to a place in comedy where this is very shticky. Yeah. And it's yeah. like it doesn't play as well as it once did. Now, there were times that I laughed out loud during this movie. It's not a bad movie, and it's certainly not an unwatchable movie. It okay. moves at a nice pace, and like uh-huh. it has the right it, – it has an emotional center to it. It has – Um, I enjoy the picture conflict the picture of the
2: 80s that it presents I mean it is an 80s movie and that it's a time capsule and if you watch this movie you're gonna see a time capsule open up yeah 1985
0: 1986 but the 50% of the jokes I rolled my eyes at and I felt like I was watching like my dad tell jokes or something I mean because they're just like kind of, they're cheesy and they're no,
2: goofy, is, and i know sticky, that's his it's thing schlocky, it's schlocky and
1: i am not gonna be able to defend it against those criticisms those are my criticisms but i
0: think that's what like if i did i did learn a lot about myself this week and, well, <laughs> and, and i love to hear that and we'll get you know we'll expound upon that more in the second half but sally kellerman really wow she touched something off in you great great i mean great performance she's a great actor like she i i she smolders she's got a smoldering smoldering quality yeah unbelievably like attractive and sultry and all like what she's trying like what she her role is in this film is perfectly executed like she is i agree just just magnetic right uh and, like, my introduction to her was as Mark Maron's mom in the show Marin. Oh, right, yeah. Not sultry. Not, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, she's there to antagonize him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she is great in this movie. Yeah. Um, Oingo Boingo showing, him, I mean, what an incredible scene. Well, oh, and cool.
1: Elfman doing the score, too. This is yeah. one of his early scores. It I think is, this yeah. might be the second one after uh, Big right? Adventure. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, and but, you can hear the earmarks of his stuff. It's got that like chugging energy. Yeah, that gives the film a little. It gives it some pep. Gives it you know? a rhythm. It's, yeah. it, it's kind of like moving along. Yeah. It's always you never feel. I mean, it's only a ninety what ninety three minute film. Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's, it's brisk. the it's the exact length that it should ninety six. But it it shouldn't it be a second it.
0: longer. You know, no, it perfect. And in fact,
1: I love. I mean, you got to love the way it ends. He hits the the triple. Um, I we we get I have issues with that. We Ooh. get the quick graduation scene. Yeah. Thumbs up. We're out, folks. Yeah, that's no. That's do, great. We don't need a lot of denouement. We don't need the yeah. you know. His graduation all of was terrible. For, <laughs> it offered nothing. Yeah, oh, it, yeah, it did nothing. Yeah, sure. You could have cut. They that. They could have maybe cut that. You could have cut that scene entirely. <laughs> Just uh, give the thumbs up. And yeah.
0: Then, yeah. Um, it, it like you know. Um, the criticism I had about Bohemian Rhapsody when that came out was like what the way that movie should have ended was Freddie Mercury going on stage to like applause hitting the first chords of the song and then cut but instead mm. we got like a 10 minute oh, reenactment okay. of Live Aid or whatever this one should have been like yeah the first freshman him coming up on stage and like maybe saying something and then it like freeze framing him at the podium and then roll credits. Cause okay. the whole speech like kind of undermines the importance of the speech cause he doesn't say anything. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. Now the triple Lindy is bullshit. Um, He's right. Well, what does <laughs> that is. mean?
1: What are you talking about? It's one of the, it's one of the most memorable comedy movie scenes of the last, three decades, four decades. Come on, everybody. All you have to do is say triple Lindy and everybody knows exactly what you're talking about.
0: Everybody over a certain age, sure. Yeah. But Yes,
1: right. right. Yes, Gen Xers and above. Gen the, the, Xers yeah. and
0: above. But my issue with it <laughs> is that there's a, a two-minute at most, and I'm being kind of generous with that, two-minute conversation about it. Yeah. And then when it happens, there's just it doesn't build up to it enough for oh, the moment it. to be... It emotionally gratifying in any way. It doesn't
1: need to be emotional. It's silly.
0: It's him armpit farting <laughs> and then d- twisting, and tur- uh, yeah. twisting and turning, a stunt double twisting and turning. Which I love. That is one comedic bit about this movie that I do really like. Is how agile. He is. <laughs> I know it's like, and how the man hasn't
2: practiced once. He hasn't even been in the pool. He's, oh, he's so out of shape. He has been in the pool. Oh, that's he true. He did a, a flip off of the edge oh, of you're the pool right, at his own right. home, which earlier. was
0: hilarious yeah. because, which is I the spryest you the see spry. this person. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. He's, he's like, and so he does
2: attitude. get in the
1: hot tub at one point. Yeah, th- yeah. No, David. <laughs> here's here's the
2: problem with the triple Lundy is Lindy. that you, Lindy, thank you, is that you don't believe that it could possibly happen. That is not. Not my problem. But with that. nothing in this film could possibly <laughs> no, happen. Nothing. The not way it, that it not is Not is a laid single out. thing. Not the way that the dorm a, gets renovated. Not the, the way, way the dorm gets renovated. From, from from I want to go to college to meeting with the dean to breaking ground on Dean the thing. Martin. Come on, no, that, that's a funny line. That, no, funny. it's that's not. Funny. That's low hanging.
0: that
1: actually that is some satire right there because big donors
2: do have some weight that they of can throw around, and you could. I mean, of course, and Dean Martin has no problem basically taking overtly saying, "Oh yeah, this yeah. is kind of the way the world works." Right? Yeah, you know, right, right. But I don't think that it's a um, it's highly penmanshiped satire here.
1: No, it's it's. This isn't. You're right. This isn't like cultural commentary yeah. satire this is more silly like this is a dynamic that exists we'll make a fun cheap joke at, a couple fun cheap jokes at it great move on you Yeah. don't no.
2: I, I you never believe that keith gordon could could date and land that that girl you never believed, i disagree with I that I, he, but, I mean he he landed okay. helen slater well yeah but he, he, he
0: my correct. my my issue with that in the context
2: of Billie Jean, that makes a lot more sense, <laughs> by the way.
0: I, so my issue with that is not that he could... Keith Gordon's a handsome guy. Uh, in a kind of like nerdy, goofy kind of way, I guess, sure. maybe. But he's a he is a handsome man. He has like a kind of... Uh, he has like a non-threatening everyman. He's, he's like a Paul Rudd. Almost like a Bruce Campbell type shape oh. to his face. You know, he's got like a strong chin. You know, I mean, he's, he's not nice so attractive bones. that he's
1: going to piss people off. No, no. But
0: he's a yeah but you're right paul rudd is a good is another good one too bruce campbell might be too handsome to compare keith gordon (laughs) um but the thing that really like kind of i mean it took me out of the film and i really started scratching my head was like she's like this is the most you've ever said to me i'm in love with you yeah and i was like come on like you just don't have to have her say that yeah like It's believable that she's interested in him and would kiss him. Yeah, but for her to be like, "I love you," is like is ridiculous, and it takes you out of the film. And. The triple well, the indie- same
1: way that uh, Turner the, the the professor falling for Mellon the way that she does there's nothing like no. she does a great job and she kind of sells it I was gonna but say there's I bought no it. way. yeah but but that's on the strength of her performance it has nothing to do with like no Mellon is such a ridiculous clown of a character he, he, he's not an attractive guy he
0: is but the reason that that works is because they uh, Contrast it with the serious stuffiness of Philip. And so you can go there with it a little bit because.
2: From the very beginning, she said, I want to experience more than just rigidness.
0: Well, yeah, yeah, but Philip is so boring and he's so not fun and he's so stiff. That it's a uh, party, Philip like now, yeah, that a guy who comes around and he wants to have fun and he's playing fast and loose and he's got character, he's got personality, he's a big, big personality. Mm-hmm. It makes sense, like, I mean, I've seen it all the time where, like, a friend will date a guy or a girl who's one way and then overcorrect with the next guy who's the exact, like, you know, a friend might, you know, someone might date someone who's kind of emotionally closed off. And then the next person they date is just all emotion, like, can't control. You know, like, you do that. People do that. So it's believable because it's something that happens in the real world. Keith Gordon's character is not in any way really that different from Billy Zab's. Like... With the exception of their social status, mm-hmm. but Keith Gordon, with the right series of events and climbing the social ladder, would be the exact same person as Billy Zab's, just not blonde. And that's really What's, the only difference. I, I think, you know, watching this film again, it
1: did strike—a few things kind of strike me, struck me about the dynamics of, of the characters and stuff. Like, for one, you know— and. I'm going to say these things and they're going to sound like critiques. It's not. I enjoyed this film as much as I did when I was a kid. I'm happy to watch it and I will watch it again. It is a funny... 80s comedy that I think gets some things really right and some things are a little bit like I got to roll my eyes at Let sure but <laughs> what what I was gonna say is, I was gonna
2: say that has a warm place in your heart to begin
1: with yes right um you know the Keith Gordon character Jason right the fact that he's like sort of seen as an underdog He is like the richest kid on campus yeah. I mean that you have a dad
0: who has that much money like he he doesn't flaunt it, but...
1: I suppose it's a testament to his character. And there's a whole scene between him and uh, Robert Downey Jr., the... Uh, what's his character's Derek name? And Derek Lutz. Lutz. Where Where <laughs> Derek's Lutz. like, they're not like us. They're the bourgeois, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, dude, you're talking to the richest kid on campus right now yeah. who is, like, upper tier. and inter- just
2: keeping it on the down low.
1: His dad right. is literally not-
2: burning money.
0: Yeah. He, like, bought
1: Well, but at that books? point, Derek is aware that his dad is, you know... Sure. So it's just funny that, like as a kid that didn't that uh sort of uh that friction didn't register for me i'm like i just accepted yeah he's the underdog he's the nerdy guy he's yeah. a, you know like and then you kind of realize wait like, no, no he's not no he's not <laughs> he would not really be able to do anything he wanted to here yeah. and he doesn't have to work as the towel boy if he doesn't want to i guess he just is trying to him punish on the team himself or, or get on the team or something he's trying to yeah. climb the ladder to right the team. right so i mean th- there's some funny bits in there about the way like we've written the character this way, but then really we're going to treat it this other way. And it's all about like just selling it with the performances, the history professor, the Sam Kinison character, like letting him launch into those tirades and that he becomes kind of friendly with Thornton where Thornton doesn't, Really buy into his militaristic you know yeah. fascistic mm. <laughs> mindset that he's that he's spouting in the classroom, but that doesn't really matter because they're just like they get each other
0: and yeah. I, mean, I I also hate Sam Kinison in this, I think he's one of the worst parts of the movie it, it, you know as a kid, I loved
1: it because he's so crazy and he's so loud, and it's, so there was something it's stunt casting, yeah the, there was something really exciting about that Mm -hmm. but I
0: agree I think watching that scene again that's one that loses power over time for me and I just I mean I've never listened to a stand-up before I've never I have no relationship to yeah. him as a stand-up comedian and i really have no desire to either i don't find uh, you should you should for, i don't for find posterity h- sake yeah, at some I point just you went, should, i just uh, don't find him
2: interesting i just went through all of his albums on spotify actually really a weird whim that yeah. i had because huh. I, you know, I do a lot of driving clock commuting so yeah, yeah, i'd look for interesting things to listen to i started with hotter than hell i believe that was the first one Interesting.
0: Yeah. Maybe I'll have to go back and listen to it, but I don't know. Like, I've tried to go back and listen to Lenny Bruce and, like, another guy who was, like, such a huge, <laughs> right? right. It's in the encyclopedia, monumental comedy, sure. figure in, like, the history of stand up comedy, but 50, 60 years removed from it. Yeah. It's hard, you know it's it's hard to still get big laughs at, you know out of that kind of but it you know it's, it's I, neither here nor there i, I could
2: talk it. about other things that i'm critical of and don't believe but this is not the kind of movie that's trying I, to go for I was anything gonna, realistic so what is the point
0: i was gonna say it seems silly of us to talk sure. about it in this critical way <laughs> does, it make, does it make you laugh? now the next film we can yeah, yeah. The, the next film
2: does it make you laugh not as much as i did when i saw it when i was 14 15 16 years old but at the same time i have a warmness in my heart for rodney dangerfield i know a little bit more about his career than just his movie roles because mm-hmm. there are some abysmal movie roles that he eventually takes i mean he also did rap and rodney yeah uh, I mean, rover dangerfield could go on and on but um it it kind know, of a him, him on though. him on carson and him on on the, when he's allowed to be himself not in a pg-13 kind of environment yeah he was one of a kind so it's good to go back and revisit something he did that was a huge success
0: he also is just like a funny person Mm. like you could just like he could be doing panel on carson it's just like yeah Yeah. it's like you know it's like the way that martin short is like that still like when martin short goes on one of the tonight shows it's just joke something joke after joke after joke and he's just like non-stop just like riffing right and he's just Got it down, you know, uh and I think Rodney Dangerfield was the same way. Somewhat darker figure, I think, in reality oh, yeah. than what he is presented. Well, yeah,
1: everything that I've heard is that he definitely there were when he was off stage or when he wasn't in the spotlight, he was definitely off. Like yeah. he, he didn't, or he could he could turn it on for the people if he wanted to, but if he didn't, then he was just yeah yeah
0: a kind of dark guy. Um Another thing that I kind of. I don't know, it was like whiplash almost watching this movie was just his fucking eyes, dude. Oh, like got some buggy eyes. Yeah. But it, but he does, he really heightens it oh, in a he, way that's just like, what are you doing, dude? It, dude? Like, well, I, mean, you- <laughs> I, I, I I guess maybe it was funny at a time. I don't find it funny now. I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, oh, it's like,
1: you, I <laughs> it's mean, really there's weird. a cartoonishness to it. Yeah, I, I yeah, think
0: it is I, cartoony for sure. I think sure. he
1: realized that, okay, this is this is what I look like how can I use this to my advantage? And he's like, I, I mean, it became part of his stage act. It's just yeah, how he well, operated.
2: Was, imagine a, a conversation with the director before a take. Should I do the bug eyes now or not? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. Do it every to time. to seven. Just, I guess, I guess Cosby the the kind 10. of did it too,
0: right? You know, like he would, he would lean over and.
1: Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. You're I, right. Obviously you're right. not. In not, not quite silly a way caricature, but, but, yeah, that, but, but yeah, I um, mean, it is funny. Joe mentioned, you know, as he was setting it up, like, It's amazing to rewatch this. It's been a a little while, but to rewatch it and to realize how many major figures were it like, again, young Robert Downey Jr., who, you know, is going to go on to huge things, although actually. Was this before Weird Science? This is like right around the same time. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's before less than zero. It's before though, less than and zero. Yeah. B- before Chaplin. Before, before, so, I he's mean, like, so fucking good
0: in Chaplin. Um,
1: but certainly before MCU and, and, well, and before his downfall and his reemergence. And I mean, it's just funny to see him at that. You've mentioned Bert there's a Young. lot ahead of him. Yeah. This is what we're seeing. Absolutely. At. Right. To be like just this side kind of, you know, sidekick character in throughout the film is yeah. kind of funny. MM um, Emmett Walsh as oh, the yeah. coach. So good whenever he shows up in anything. Okay. And, I, and I love him, uh, you know, in, in his relationship with Mellon. Ned Beatty Dean Martin. I mm-hmm. think he's... I love seeing Ned Beatty and stuff. I mean, it's just Edie McClurg. And one of the greatest film cameos of all time, from my perspective... Kurt Vonnegut yeah I mean that a great he, seriously that scene alone when you know uh, he's like you haven't written your paper on Vonnegut when are you gonna get ding yeah, yeah. <laughs> hi
0: I'm Kurt Vonnegut <laughs> and then and then it's and then it's punctuated by the professor saying, saying whoever wrote it doesn't know anything doesn't about know Kurt anything Vonnegut. about Kurt Vonnegut
1: and that was actually Turner that was uh, Kellerman's character who tells him that yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh my god yeah of
2: college it. professors don't know shit about And then a, so about. you know that was before <laughs> <laughs> but, but a few years later,
1: and when I actually read some Vonnegut, I remember like, I remember making that connection in my head. Oh, that's the guy who was game enough to show up in back to school. I like that guy. Yeah. And, and I do like that guy. He's a great writer. So I don't know. Funny, funny stuff. So
2: back to school deserves to be on these lists?
1: <sighs> I mean, I think at least as a ribald 80s college comedy. I would much rather, and we're not doing that one on this episode, so maybe this is going to be controversial because we're do, I'm doing this take without us reviewing the evidence and, and getting into it. But I'd take this over Animal House any day. Oh no,
2: no,
0: I would no. Interesting. How wow. I feel I haven't seen Animal House in a very, very, very long time, <laughs> so I can't I can't speak to that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't. I don't feel good. <laughs> um, would Would you take this blonde any day? I don't know. <laughs> oh, good, good question. Um, wasn't my best transition work. I'm sorry.
1: When you're sitting back and you're watching a silly comedy, you want something light and refreshing, effervescent. Is it time for the Shaka Blonde or the Shaka's Up?
2: I've said it a million times on the show, probably not that many, that I'm not a fan of the blonde. I don't rush to the blonde. The blonde's not the first thing I'm going to ask for. If I go to a multi-tap craft beer bar, However, I will say that the addition of the lime, what they've done here, Mm -hmm. makes this a very palatable, very delicious beverage. And uh, mine went super quick because of the Mm -hmm. blonde's drinkability. That's why it's a very popular style, especially for people transitioning into craft beer or Mm -hmm. if they go somewhere and ask for a Miller Lite and it's not that kind of bar. Have you ever tried a blonde? They might try to get someone to go that route. And it's usually for that person a nice introduction to something different than the Pilsner that they normally enjoy. Uh, I I liked this very much. I'm so certainly glad that you were able to obtain and bring it tonight.
0: I I really liked it. I don't know that I've ever had a blonde with lime and salt as an adjunct. Yeah. It's more of like a Mexican Put lager a Gosa type or of thing. Or, or a Mexican lager, yeah. Or a Gosa, but it's really working for me here. And actually probably some of the stronger notes of lime that I've had in a beer, mm. uh, maybe with the exception of like a Gosa or something that kind of lean that lends itself really well already to that tartness right. and that kind of, uh, not, sa- I mean, almost sourness, but, yeah. um, but it's, it's, it's very good. It's very good. I like it a lot. Um, I agree.
1: When, when I was having this, uh, you know, I tipped my hand. I, I had had this at the tap room, uh, a couple weeks back
2: mm-hmm.
1: and, Out there, because it's it's already hot here in South Texas, folks, it's hot. Um, Sitting outside, you want something really thirst-quenching and refreshing, and this was so good. I drank two, maybe three pints of it, and just, they were so easy to throw back. I agree with what you're saying, Carlos. I think it's interesting, because most of the beers I've had that do incorporate lime into them, like in the can, tend to be more on that sort of sour end of things, so it's it's kind of hard to separate the lime flavor from the sourness that's already in there because of the style of the beer. But here, it's fairly clear. Like, you're getting that lime flavor. There is a bit of tartness that comes in because lime has an acidity to it. and that's a, But it's not overpowering. It's really nicely balanced. I think you don't have to be a sour fan to, to like this beer. But if you like sours, I think this is like a really light approach, you know, to that kind of flavor profile. So... I mean the I blonde think Blonde
0: doesn't get lost in it either though.
1: No, there's there's more body there than you get in a Gosa, right? There, there's there's sort of a nice sort of foundation. No doubt. Um no, I'm. I, I consider this a big success for Lorelei and I guess for the Island University. Is this a
2: limited edition beer, or will they have this around for? a I while? I
1: asked in the tap room. I think their plan is to keep this in regular rotation. It makes sense. Yeah, Get the I,
0: Islanders I, to
2: come I, I, out and enjoy it. They on said a it's been selling basis. really well for good, them. Good,
0: good. I bet it has, uh, especially in the summertime. Maybe it's a seasonal. Maybe a seasonal would be would be a good probably approach. Um, well, to everything. Turn, turn, turn. There is a
1: season. Turn, turn, turn. And when we come back, we will turn the page to a film that gets us to the post-collegiate experience.
2: When When we return.
0: Did you write that before you (laughs) (laughs) came
1: T- time for round two of these Islander beers. Um, this one actually has Islander in the name. So this is from Lazy Beach. Uh,
2: they have brewed a Kolsch. Lazy Beach will be, after, after we enjoy this beer, the next one we enjoy, Five Timers Club. Ooh, getting close, getting mm-hmm. close. I'm excited. Um,
1: this is a Kolsch, as I said, 4.6% uh, alcohol by volume. Um, It's called Islander Wave. I have not tried this one because I have not been down to their tap room since this one is released, but I have a couple cans for us, so let's go ahead and get these open and pour them and see how Lazy Beach has done by the Island University here with their their little tribute. I've had several Kolsch's on the show. Yeah, a few, right? I like Kolsch as a style. I mean, generally, it's a very clean, crispy style usually. And this is
2: pouring exactly with those right. two adjectives. Very, 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 very see-through and uh, right. a great carbonation.
1: Right. Not not super hoppy generally, a Kolsch, so we, we wouldn't expect that. But nice, cr- clean, and crisp is what we're going so, to hope for. So we're hoping for. Yeah.
0: For yeah. sure. And, I mean, there's a lot to hope for with this second movie. I mean, it is in the kind of perennial all-time movie lists. Mm-hmm. uh in, at least in regards to American cinema, but we are talking about 1967 The Graduate. This is a film that stars Dustin Hoffman, a very, early, not a very young, he's like 29 in this movie. Although uh, playing much younger. Playing 21, yeah. but he, the year this came out, he would have turned 30, I believe. So when it filmed, he was probably 29, 28. Um, directed by Mike Nichols. Uh, you know. Who won the best director Oscar that year
1: for it. Or in sixty
0: eight. And so yeah. Uh you know, has got some other notable titles under his belt, but we won't get into that. And Bancroft, uh, stars as Mrs. Robinson, Catherine Ross as Elaine Robinson, and then William Daniels, Mr. Feeney, from Boy Meets World as Mr. Braddock, that really really fucked me up when i saw saw him he's so much younger and i heard his voice and i was like who is this man Uh i know that i recognize this voice and then famously uh the score by simon and garfunkel um we'll get into that but (laughs) the oh i mean you know the plot of the movie is a disillusioned college graduate finds himself torn between his older lover and her daughter uh that is essentially what it is. I mean, he is seduced. It's a very simple story. It is. He's seduced by Mrs. Robinson. He feels weird about it at first because her husband, Mr. Robinson, is uh, partners with Business his dad partner, at their yeah. law firm. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and, you know, she has a daughter his age. He's known this woman her, his entire life, essentially. Um, eventually out of boredom and general malaise of his like postgraduate time kind of uncertainty of the future decides that, you know, he's going to take this woman up on her offer. Mm -hmm. But then here come his parents, like parents do. They have a very specific vision for his life and what they want him to do with it. And they really, really want him to take out Elaine Robinson, Mrs. Robinson's daughter, who is of a similar age to him. Mm -hmm. And, Un, unable to give a good reason as to why he should not, he breaks his vow to Mrs. Robinson who he has sworn he would not take, she made him promise that he would not take her daughter on a date, breaks that vow, takes the daughter on the date, ends up falling for her and that, that's about halfway, conflict it's about far, halfway yeah. into the movie at that point, Yeah, but that is, you know, the big conflict that kind of blows the second half of the movie up and mm-hmm. uh, In a more dramatic way The first The first So we'll just get straight into it The first half of this movie Is some of the sexiest Filmmaking I've ever seen And Visual poetry man And It I mean there is There's a certain degree Of conflict But not in like The way that we experience In the second half It's It's more more, of a
2: character study That first half
0: It's more of a character study Uh, It's more of A kind of um, Just like journey With this character You're just like living this summer with this guy you know Mm -hmm. and kind of watching him as he's really the only thing of any interest or note that he's doing is having this affair uh, and then floating in the pool drinking coors or whatever Mm -hmm. um it's a very 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 incredible first half of a movie like the filmmaking that is on display in the first half of this film is undeniably Amazing. Mm -hmm. I like the
2: way you're going with this first half, second half. So while we're talking about the first half, I want to talk about the first couple of scenes. Meeting our protagonist, Ben, on an airplane with that tight close up and then the slow drawback. Mm -hmm. Then straight into the party that his parents are throwing uh, for him. To celebrate his graduation with the handheld shaky great tracking shot uh, tracking shot through the party as mm-hmm. all he wants to do is retreat and be by himself but he's got the obligation and certainly fueled by his parents saying come on let's go come on let's go yeah and all the people that are asking him what his plans are he doesn't know asking him what he's gonna do with his life he doesn't know mm-hmm. giving him advice plastics you know it yeah it it creates this immediate <laughs> yeah, kind of claustrophobic isolated clearly withdrawn and we don't know yet sad I don't I still don't know if I do know sad depressed uh listless yeah list- Unmotivated. main character which is something you just don't see in 1967 you know yeah uh, we want our leads to be dashing and heroic and Certainly. no not not today. Yeah, right. and,
0: and and I think some of the visual kind of artistry that's on display is not necessarily uh, commonplace for the time. Like I, I I think specifically of when he puts this or when he's in the scuba suit, mm-hmm. and you get his POV, yeah. and all of the noise outside of it is kind of taken away, and you just hear his breathing through yeah. the. The oxygen tank right, and then right, he goes right. into One of many and, shots
2: of water, right. I think, symbolizing, you know, isolation. Uh, or or change,
0: isn't water? You, uh, yeah, well, there's, you know, the, certainly
1: when he's more despondent, listless, it's like him under the water. Yeah. Then later, once he's Which, made this bold choice to actually pursue the relationship, there he is floating in, on top of the water. Yeah. At least his, he's out of the water.
0: Uh, yeah. Right, well, he's taking charge. Yeah. The kind of Listless, despondent portion of it where he's under the water a lot. I mean, can we talk about Rushmore for a second? I mean, oh, Wes God. Anderson takes uh, of yeah. some of the visuals from that part of this film, sh- just copy and paste them straight out when Bill Murray kind the of Rushmore, is like floating yeah. down there in like yep. the cannonball, uh, like fetal position or whatever. A character experiencing a very similar kind of mood, and you know, well, I, I
1: think there's there's kind of a. I mean, if we if you're gonna th- that I think it goes even right beyond specific visuals. I think there's kind of a tone to The Graduate that fits Wes Anderson's style mm-hmm. in, in a way. Not not that, you know, Nichols is anywhere near as, uh, you know, interested in that kind of minutiae of mise-en-scene right. to the extent that Anderson ends up being. But in terms of general mood and this idea of, like, characters who aren't really experiencing, like, you know heavy external conflict and it's more about the internal conflict more about this kind of not
0: being able to decide one way or the other the or guy's maybe... set up to be very successful just like jason's character keith gordon's character right right uh who we didn't get into but he's from christine not from the legend of billy jean uh is <laughs> i thought you were going for jaws too but okay yeah, but... <laughs> uh, you know just like that guy's set up for success and it's more you know this right. guy's clearly a Pretty privileged kid. He's got like an amazing stereo in his room.
1: Yeah, they've got
0: a pool in their backyard. He's driving this fancy Alfa, Alfa Romeo yeah. uh, car that was gifted to him for graduation. Which gets and I like this. This is the kind of like really high level filmmaking and attention to detail that you love. But gets dirtier and dirtier as the film goes on. Mm-hmm. Like, you yeah, know, it's not ever. It's nothing that's pointed at. It's yeah. nothing, you know. But you you notice it as time goes on. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah. No external conflict—the exact opposite of external conflict. Yeah, like well, could do whatever he wants. Right. If he right. just fucking knew what that was.
1: Yeah, it's like it's you know it's it's presenting you the portrait of the kind of you know upper middle class lifestyle that from the exterior seems so enviable, seems so like, and yet showing you how empty and sort of yeah, unfulfilling it is in certain doubt. ways. Without you know what I mean? This out, like yeah. this sense that he has coming out like, okay, all of these, the path is laid out for me. All I have to do is kind of walk it. But realizing walking it is not really going to bring him any sort of happiness necessarily. Like he's going to find something that gets him excited on its own accord or that, that truly ignites some kind of passion in him. Yeah. And I mean... It takes some work because even Mrs. Robinson, when she makes her proposition, you know that isn't enough to really get him started. I mean, he which has- is crazy. <laughs> yeah, I wanted, to, I wanted to spend some time on that initial
2: seduction sequence where I mean, the Mrs. Robinson is in complete control of the situation. Yeah, sure. uh, getting a ride, get, getting him to give her a ride home, lying about when the husband's going to get back been revealing when the husband's going to get back the way she masterfully deflects the idea when he says you're trying to seduce me no I'm not and yeah. then making him feel guilty I, for making right. yeah. the the accusation and yeah. then using that against him to get him upstairs yeah. where she comes up into the room nude and I, I don't and see I his, don't like that scene you see his face And he does not know where to put his eyes, because he shouldn't be looking at her body. But why wouldn't you? Because there it is. And um, these quick flashes to different parts of her body, which would be exactly maybe his point of view as he's getting a glance here and there.
0: I I, I did not think that that particular piece of editing worked very well. No? Oh, Oh, I I disagree with you. I didn't find it very effective. I just found it to be
2: especially in the context of 67 where you're not going to show nudity like that just exactly don't show it
0: just don't show it that's my thing is <laughs> it I like
2: it's provocative it doesn't time
0: i don't find it provocative i don't well, think no, it know and looks this good. time you wouldn't well yeah but even even then it's like i mean i guess i i don't know it just it doesn't look good it's not a good edit and I don't think that other than being provocative, it accomplishes anything from like a narrative or a character I th- kind of I think of it way. does. I think, I think for me, it didn't land. I, under, I mean,
1: I can understand what you're saying, but I, I agree more with Joe, where I think that it is motivated. It does have, like, I think to get us into his head, right? That subjective element. Here he is like trying to deny himself this kind of, visual experience and yet not being able to fully I mean I can imagine him you know blinking his eyes and kind of like peeling away. it it feels very motivated that way to me so I, I it doesn't feel forced it doesn't feel like a trick it feels like it's trying to convey to me this experience that he's having in the room at the time
0: i i get what you're saying and that does make sense i think the reason that it doesn't work for me is that's kind of the first POV anything that we get and it is so abrupt and jarring that I think that's why it doesn't work for me. If that had come after the scuba scene then at that point there has been some kind of foundation laid for like, oh, I am going to show you this. I'm I'm going to, you know, do this in this way mm-hmm. where you're seeing what he's seeing or you're experiencing what he's experiencing, but we've just kind of watched him at this point. Yeah. And so well, to to go zero to 100 like that i think is a little bit of a misstep um but i can understand how it how it works especially upon like second viewing i'm sure it works much better than the first time through and this
2: is the first time i've seen this yeah. as it
0: should be said it's Bef- a big
2: part of why we're doing this. before we go into the second half I, I also want to talk about the scene where he goes to get the hotel room for the very first time mm. which is uh, great performance for uh, him yeah buck henry uh, who's is the, the writer is of the, the film. writer of the film playing the teller or the what would you call him the clerk reception receptionist, the receptionist yeah. yeah and back in the day you would fill out a card and with your name on it and they'd have a porter and you ring the bell and it's just played because he's so nervous and he wants to be in control of this situation he wants to be if you will the man right here mm-hmm. but he's up against Mrs Robinson who's going to regain and keep control the entire time mm-hmm. until maybe later in the film but that. Makes me laugh every single time I watch it. Mm-hmm. The physical comedy of Dustin Hoffman's stammering and yeah. nervousness, and uh, I got my toothbrush. Very yeah. good, sir. Whatever. You know. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I, I, I. That scene has not lost a beat.
0: Yeah, yeah that 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 scene works really well. Um, and it, and before we get into the um, Elaine portion of the story. Another kind of criticism that I have of it is the Mrs. Robinson character is really not developed very well, I don't, in my opinion. You don't really ever get to know her all that well. You no. don't really get to understand what motivates her or why she does what she does. Um, the best that we get is that she married out of necessity. Mm-hmm. I, okay, cool, but it doesn't seem... It's – I mean it, that doesn't – that one little piece of information and in that one exchange doesn't seem like enough to get us to understand enough about her to make what she does after that like make as much sense or to, to – I don't know. I just – I wanted – I wanted so much more out of that character that I didn't get. Hmm. And by the end of it, I was just like, man, there's there's so much more to her than what we got. I think And that you, was disappointing to me.
1: I, I understand where you're coming from. I, I I, could see that. I mean, it to me, it's not a failing of the film necessarily. But I, I mean, there's obviously more going on under the surface of that character than we ever get to see and part of that is a function of her being more of a supporting character than a like true main character in the way that you would need her to be but but she but,
0: does drive the first half well, of the but I was going but, but she
1: is purposefully hiding herself from him she doesn't want to have that kind of connection yeah, right? i mean she's looking that's, for a connectionless yeah i mean why it works okay for me is that She's never willing to let him in, right? I mean, yeah. he has to badger her into having a basic conversation with him, and even at that point, is willing to reveal so little, which is, it,
0: which is a great scene because she's like, "I don't know anything about art," and then he's like, "Oh, what you major in, art?" Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, well, we we get these little bits and pieces because of her. to me, like, the, and and
1: again, I think as much as we do get to know her, what we know is that she is in trapped in a loveless marriage or has many years spent in a loveless marriage. And I think at this point is just bored and looking for something to distract herself and and to play, but not any kind of emotional connection. Because I think the way I look at it is she spent 20 years living in or or more living in this relationship that – maybe in some sense is proven to her that human connection is futile. Like she's not connecting with this guy who she's been trying to for whatever, decades. Yeah. At this point, the best I can hope for is some young guy who can maybe get me off in the sack. You know what I mean? Like if, if I can get that, sack. I'm just, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I can have some fun, I can, I can get pleasure, but a, real human connection is beyond what I've been able to achieve in this life. And
0: sure, I, but she doesn't, but she also doesn't seem to have
1: fun. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, they don't show us some of the funner moments potentially, <laughs> but, which is good. I'm not. I'm not asking for it I'm to not, do that.
0: No, no. I don't. I don't need to see that. But even, <laughs> yeah, even, even just like a moment of excitement, or well, you don't a, get a, like the a, a poi, the afterglow of like, oh, yeah, yeah, No, know. no. You,
1: but but then again, I don't feel like she it wouldn't be true to her character to do that. I mean, if I she guess. feels it, she would keep it inside and be like, yeah, that felt good. Yeah. Right. I mean, I <laughs> also, on, I
2: it also goes up against one of my theses here, and that is is that all of the adults in the film, the parents anyway, Ben's parents, Elaine's parents, are all empty and vacuous and have pursued this kind of 60s idealism of materialism, uh, wealth. Well, really more even coming out of the 50s, right? I mean, like, sure. this is...
1: This is one of those films that kind of marks that like emergence of new Hollywood, this other sensibility, the counterculture's sort of impact. I mean, this is the same year as Bonnie and Clyde, right? This is the same year as I Bonnie that, and Clyde. I think that, yeah, you're right. Um, you know, th- so I think you're, you're sensing like the parents are the old guard, they are the, the ones who bought sure. into the 50s idealism and are sure while well, they experience. have
2: the yeah. external like vision of stuff. what success is supposed to be. Every All of them really have nothing, you know. And then Ben is the exact same guy. He just happens to say, if if anything, I am not going to just pursue that because it would be easy to pursue, and that's what everybody is doing. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't have a lot of – he's not filled with anything else really either. No. You know, so it's like this picture of the 60s, this generational – you know, juxtaposition, but at the same time, there's not much of a juxtaposition except for age, right? Yeah. no, yeah. you're
1: you're right. I mean, I think, that, you know, part of what Marxist film is New Hollywood is that you do not even in where it goes, and I guess we're getting to the, and I'm curious because Carlos definitely set it up yeah, as bifurcated, so let, us there. Uh, we got to hear what the second half feeling is, but. It's not as if this. I mean, if we start the film with this character not knowing what to do with himself, and and you know being in that kind of uncertain space of like, okay, I've just achieved everything that I'm supposed. Right, I've gone, you know, made it through school, mm-hmm. d- done these things. I've uh, I've has been, a big
2: resume at college. Right, of got a fellowship. Yeah. All
1: this sort of stuff. Like I've done all these things. I've checked all these boxes. Now where am I? What does that put? What path does that put me on? And like you say, looking at his parents, his parents' generation, there's not a lot of excitement there. It's like people who are, yeah, maybe materially they're wealthy, but they don't seem to have real rich emotional lives, and they're not. They're trying and, to live through
0: him a little bit. I mean, trying with, to live through I mean, right. I mean, they, I mean that's, they get so excited when he well, says he he's going to marry. Well, he is a possession.
2: Lane. The way that the uh, the ability to buy a scuba suit or, right. or Romeo is a right. possession. Yeah. He's a possession of theirs. Yeah. It, right.
0: Side note it's also interesting that we never see him have friends but right that's true there's none of his friends at that party
1: no you're right absolutely it's as if he didn't yeah so uh you you have that where like he's not sure what to do but but the conclusion of the film doesn't show us that he's on a path to any sort of happiness no. or any sort of you know it it allows him to achieve a certain goal a secondary goal that kind of comes along later on in the film but it you know that final shot is sort of notorious for. Oh, you're the, skipping
0: ahead, David. You're let's yeah, ahead. Let's circle back around. Okay. So he meets Elaine. So do you? So do you disagree with me that this movie's bifurcated and is kind of? No, a, there's a definite a two. Th- act. Th- I mean, it, it, it's a th- it's a three act structure like most things are, but really kind of two. Like yeah, there's almost in the dead center. There's a conflict that separates the beginning from the end. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the 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 big. The big point of conflict, it's 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 kind of referenced a little bit uh, by um, by Ben's parents that, or I think by Mister Robinson as well, uh, that Elaine's coming down from Berkeley soon and you should give her a call, and he's like, oh yeah sure whatever you know, and then as his affair with Mrs. Robinson continues. Elaine's going to come down again. You know, uh, he didn't call her the first time, it seems. So she's going to come down again, and the uh, subject gets brought up again. And Mrs. Robinson makes him promise she's not going to take, or that he's not going to take out her daughter, which makes sense. Uh, And, but his, you know, his dad keeps pushing. He has no good reason not to. He can't say, well, I'm I'm sleeping with her mother. You know, (laughs) like I can't do that. That would be uncouth of me. Uh, So eventually, so he does it. Shows up to pick her up. Mrs. Robinson is irate, but as with all of her emotions, hiding it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and he tries to explain to her, like, this was my dad's idea. I, there's nothing I can do about it. I'll I, show her a bad I'll time. I'll show her, yeah. I'll, <laughs> I'll take her out once and I'll never call her again. And she's still pissed. It's all bad. Everything, you know, whatever. Takes her out. He's acting like a total asshole. Uh, Takes
2: her to a burlesque show. Yeah.
0: Which impressive feats like the, the 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 tassel swirling is something <laughs> i had never seen before and i'm not i'm not even trying to make a joke it was actually impressive, impressive. Uh, but then the funniest that's part, impressive the funniest part can of, you do that the funniest it's part about alone. that is uh well that part is like whoa uh, but then the, the dancer starts to flick the tassels on the top of Elaine's lanes. Yeah. <laughs> who's already having the worst time of her life. Yeah. And it isn't until and you know, I think this says a lot about Ben's character, but it isn't until she starts crying that he really yeah is willing to open to take uh, responsibility for being a fucking asshole. And then he kisses her and she's fine with that, which is interesting. Um but but yeah, so that happens. They continue their courtship. No, you know, it's the to, very next day when they're going on their second date. That Mrs. Robinson tries yeah, to comes you know, out in the well, rain and well, says Well yeah, but yeah. But that's what I'm saying is like he asks her out on another date yeah. when he said he wasn't going to. Mrs. Robinson tries to put an end to it. All this stuff. He eventually decides he's gonna marry her, tells his parents, says, Oh, but I haven't actually spoken to her about it yet. <laughs> Stalks her in Berkeley yeah. for a few days at least. Uh chases her down on this date with a guy that Carl Smith fucking lazy screenwriting <laughs> uh and eventually just like almost bullies her into like giving him another chance i suppose uh-huh. uh and then you know everyone finds out about everything well he ends up ha- being forced into yeah you know, it's uh, everything gets really messy um and the robinsons are trying to keep him away from elaine and he eventually chases her down at her wedding, which was planned on a day's notice. Another very <laughs> interesting piece of screenwriting. They escape together. They get on a bus. They're elated. Seconds later, they are not anymore. And so, I was, the initial buzz of the of the breakout has, has, has worn off. Fades very yeah. quickly. Yeah. Um, the shortest honeymoon phase I've ever seen. I was I was I was just talking to. To Carlos, aka Manchild, about this uh, just before I came back over here, and we had a, a bit of a disagreement on their future because mm-hmm. uh, you know you see that kind of melancholy look take over both of their faces, and uh, you know his perspective was, well, you don't really know what happens to them, and like all that kind of thing. But they clearly don't end up together. You don't think so? I think it's impossible. Well, hold on.
2: Before we There's talk about no what happens,
0: world in which they end up together.
2: Before we talk about what happens after the film, I wanted to hear your thoughts on the second half being as starkly different than the first. And
0: I mean, it drags a little bit. So, like, so the 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 beginning of the what I would determine as the second half is when he takes Elaine out on the date, right? But it's not long after that that Mrs. Robinson gets in the car with him says, I'm going to tell everybody if you take her out again. So he goes up to come clean, thinking Mm -hmm. that he can get ahead of this whole thing. Uh, Clearly, that doesn't and wouldn't work. No. Like, (laughs) you know? Uh, And so so it's then that, you know, everyone finds out about everything. He has to leave. And then later, he decides that he's going to go to Berkeley and stalk her and all this kind of stuff. And so I think that the brevity of their romance him and Elaine's romance and then the kind of um isolated bit of business that happens after that where we're kind of just following him around we'll and follow, he's not we're following
2: him follow her
0: yeah and he's not really doing much mm-hmm. um just looking at her from afar often yeah and then the stuff he's doing is not like I'm not rooting for him at this point mm-hmm. you know like it's weird. And, and then even there, once they do link back up, it's weird because I mean, look, so here's, here's the plot point that we glossed over is that to get out of culpability for what happened. Mrs. Robinson tells her family that he raped her. Right. Right. And that the sex that they had was non-consensual despite the fact that they had sex a ton of times. But, um, and that was also another part of this movie that was like, ugh, I don't know, don't, uh, the fact that we're supposed to feel sympathy for him or whatever and we're not supposed to, I mean, she did lie, but it's, I don't know Well, she's to, totally manipulating. I mean, she's. Well, sure. I just, I just, the way it plays today, given what we know about, you know, rape culture and like how so many yeah. victims are. Gaslit and like Oh well It's your yeah. word against his You know right. And like It just It felt icky Even though I know That I think the, that she was but, doing like, What but, she
2: had to do To make herself course, look As good as possible get In it, the situation
0: And I get it And I'm not saying That it, it, it should I'm not saying It should have been Written a certain yeah, way yes. I'm I'm not saying that Amongst a group Of unscrupulous people To begin with Yeah I'm not saying It should have been different Or that it's like The movie shouldn't Have been made that way Or it's right. But it just It felt a little weird And whatever But so What once all that starts happening, and then she kind of like starts to entertain him again, no one would ever do that in a thousand years because we're talking about the about her, from Elaine's perspective, some fucking dude. Mm-hmm. And your mom. Yeah. Like, who are you going to believe in that scenario? Yeah. The woman that gave you life and taught you everything you know about how to be a person. Though, and unless you know so, about your mother that well, she... But I was going to say, I mean... But we have no... We've we've never been given any kind of well, inclination no, not, that she's done this before, that Elaine had any suspicion. Like, maybe if we had get, been given a little breadcrumb... I'm
2: what, given every inclination that Mrs. Robinson has had many, many affairs. Sure. Just by her behavior and her ability to do it so fast and easily.
0: I mean, yeah, her cavalierness yeah. with the whole thing. Thing. are you
2: getting the hotel room I'll go get it I mean she's been in this game for a little while sure it appears
0: yeah but th- that's not exposited in any way Mr. Robinson certainly seems appalled he seems to have no idea that this has ever happened or is happening whereas in the first film Rodney Dangerfield has a stack of Polaroids Like <laughs> it's not that he didn't know his wife was cheating on him it's that he finally saw it happening in person you mm-hmm. know uh, with his own two eyes uh, I just Bug eyes. It, bug eyes. It was just. It was just kind of crazy to me that Elaine was so willing to just be like, "Oh yeah, Like yeah. Uh, I think. Yeah, I mean, i I hear I what know. you're. I hear what you're saying.
1: I mean, I don't think this is a high bar in terms of emotional realism. Uh, but, but that said, I think this is more a portrait of, you know, it of of youth and where it stood in the 1960s and people's disillusionment with this this conception of the American dream and what is there to follow. If that is hollow, is there something else? What would that thing be? Oh, it's love. But then the film also kind of pokes a hole in the idea of love as being the the thing that saves it all. I mean, I think this is, you know, I get where you're coming from, but I think this is, it still exists as a pretty powerful kind of meditation on, well, what is it that drives people? What is it that they're looking for in this life? And if it's not money and material wealth, And it's love. Well, what is love? And and how does one define that? And and is that just something that kicks in at a moment's notice and you meet somebody and you're like, ooh, that's the person I love, which is kind of what it seems like happens with Ben. He just makes this decision ultimately, even though it's not quite immediate, that he loves Elaine. We never really get a sense of like a deep connection between these two. There's no awesome conversation that you see Outside of her
2: showing some emotion when he treats her poorly. Right,
1: it's more just this idea of romantic love that seems to overtake. And that's why I love that ending where it's just this sort of like, Okay, we've done it, right? Now we're in love and we've we've achieved it. Why do I not feel that? Yeah, you wh- know, it, what do we do now? And I, and so I kind of love that ending. Though it's interesting, just as a side note, there was this was like a few years back now, well, almost 20 years back. There was a sequel published. It was actually the, Was it actually published? The, the book was written around the same time, but the guy shelved it because I think there were some rights issues with like if if the company bought the film rights and the
0: rights to any sequels and he didn't like that and well it w- what the the key part of that deal was they could turn any sequel he wrote into a film without his permission right. or without his input excuse me yeah uh, so they could adapt it and do whatever they wanted right, with right. it right right so but it did ultimately get published and okay. and it has them together
1: and i don't know, i've not read it and i don't i don't know if they're like a happy or not marriage but it's about them having children and homeschooling it's called homeschool it's about them wanting to homeschool their children interesting
0: so I 100% agree with you about the ending I think it's the right ending Mm. and I think that despite my desire for a happier ending because I'm a fucking romantic comedy <laughs> piece of shit that Yeah, because you're thinking rom-com and this isn't lo- really it's, No, it's not a rom-com and yeah. I never thought that it was but because it follows similar beats, I'm like, oh man, they shouldn't have to be, you know. And I know that's not the right ending and I know it would be a worse movie for it, mm-hmm. you know? And so I, li- I do like the ending and I like the idea that, you know, especially as like a young man that has experienced- this as well not well i guess maybe we'll get into that in after hours but uh <laughs> but the idea that which part
2: the stalking for weeks n- or no, <laughs> no, god no, i hope not
0: no not that part the first half of the film part uh but uh, <laughs> now i really oh, want to hear okay i'm gonna, come, I'm gonna after <laughs> hours folks you i'm going patreon.com Patreon slash beer to movie you gotta as, get <laughs> as a young man who's made some mistakes and as a young man who has thought you know there was a time in my life where I thought that all of my problems would be solved by some kind of whirlwind romance. Like, a time where I felt directionless and thought that, like, if I could just find a solid, like, a rock-solid relationship, I'll just follow this woman anywhere she wants to go, you know? Whoever it is. It's is the idea of something rather than, like, a person, you know what yeah. I mean? Because uh, I know people that have followed their spouses' places on their career ambitions and stuff sure. like that. We have friends like that, and or that have done things like that and you know but it's different when it's an and what's when it's an abstract versus a specific you know specific person so i i get it and i relate to it and it's the it's the right ending because it's the way that it really is nobody that has gone down the path that ben goes down in this film really ends up in a good place you know because you're thinking that something external is going to solve your problems and that's not how it works you have to be all right with yourself to be able to be all right with someone else right uh the reason that i brought up some of those plot points from before that i found unbelievable like elaine just being like oh i guess i guess my mom did lie or whatever is it just that it takes you out of the film a little bit and when you're taken out of the film in a way at least for me uh it kind of fucks with the pacing a little bit, and you realize that you're watching a movie, and then you start to get in your head about it and stuff. Like, whereas in the beginning, I'm I'm with it, like yeah. I'm buying every second of it, and it goes by super fast, and it's like exciting, and like you're interested in what everybody's doing and stuff. And then at that point, it's like, oh, these people aren't really super real anymore, mm. and as and as grounded away as the first part of it was, um, all that. To, you know despite the criticisms that i have about it, this movie is incredible like this is a great fucking movie i just have a few little issues with it and as, if you've been listening to this podcast long enough you know that the films that i have the most hope for or the most optimism about are the ones that i end up being the most critical of just because yeah oh you could have had a perfect movie yeah and well instead you have a very very good movie and When I came out of this movie, before I really started thinking about the plot and the characters and the relationships and stuff like that, I had one note. One note. And it's that the soundtrack fucking sucks. (laughs) It is awful. (laughs) I hate it. (laughs) David, they use multiple songs... Over multiple times, they do. the first two songs you hear in this movie are the same song. Yep. Fuck you. That is,
2: and then many of the songs, many of the songs arranged differently, just Ooh, instrumental. Lazy. Yeah, uh, I, I've got a reply to that.
1: Yeah, in, I, in a minute. I can't go with you there, but but uh I guess what what I was going to say is I think. Already, based on what you're saying, I feel like you're kind of even pointing in the direction of. I have a feeling if you return to this film later, you're going to like it more. You return again, you're going to like it more. Like, I think this is one that rewards multiple viewings and thinking about it from the like. Because there's a lot to think about. I which kind of, is a sign of a good movie. I kind of remember the first time seeing it, feeling like,
0: "What's the big deal? Like, this is a film that's been built up. Is this like cinema classic? Sure. And now, this, this is one of those." few films that's been built up that much where I understood what the deal was right away right. despite having my issues with it I was like oh I get why uh-huh. this is well, I, regarded the way I mean was. I
1: saw it when I was even younger than you are now and definitely remember feeling not as fulfilled by it as I wanted to be yeah feeling like oh that what you know if this has been and you know Bob Henry this great comedy school. writer who I'd even seen sketches from <sighs> SNL and blah 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 but then I see it again a few years later and I'm like Oh, okay. And I was probably closer in age to the character at that point, and then see it a few years after that, and a few years. And I feel like this is one that, over time, when I return to it, and I would include this viewing here that that I just did in the past few days, that it does just every time I see it, it 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 feels a little more profound in that in that way that it's like so few films get across that sense of that kind of emptiness that you can feel and how you try to fill that and you fill it with this thing that you're, and, and how like society is telling you to fill it with this thing and then you do it and it, and it's just empty and it doesn't feel. And I think that's, that's pretty amazing that, that, that this is one of those few films I think that really taps into that in a way that you just, it takes a kind of patience and a, and a kind of approach to filmmaking that really isn't rewarded very much these days. I mean, if the graduate came out now, I don't think
0: it would do as well. Like no, you're probably right about that. It'd, yeah. be, a, it'd be an uh, A24 movie that makes $10 million. I think, I
2: think that you're right about that, David. I also think that they wouldn't approach the soundtrack the same way. <laughs> I mean, t- to be fair, in 1967, I, I think this, that, it is and still, it was and still is the perfect soundtrack for this film. Yes, they use the same songs over and over and over again, while he's doing the same thing over and over and over again. It's the melancholy uh, aspects of these songs that are trying to, I think, pinpoint and identify his melancholy interior. Mm -hmm. This is, I, I had the same exact experience, David, as you watching it really young because it was on, you know, some list or something, and... And me and some friends watching it, me and some friends watching it again a few months later, I can't remember why we decided to do that and immediately saying, okay, it is one that is rewarded with repeated viewings. I uh, two have watched it every, I don't know, three, five years in my life. This viewing, however, made me believe, uh, made me see how much of a creep Ben is. I'm not talking about just the way that he treats Elaine in that first date when he's trying to be a jackass. Then succeeding, but then every single decision that he kind of makes in the movie, and I don't fault him for going after the older woman that's seducing him. I think it's hilarious that he's a stumbling, bumbling, uh, inexperienced person in those kinds of things because he would be. But, and I understand, especially with a twenty-two-year-old that is in, you know, based on my share, four kids two of them are in college one of them's about to graduate he is not a ben braddock in that he's got his entire future mapped out knows exactly where he wants to go but i am around kids all of the time that have this kind of disillusioned notion of i don't know what i'm gonna do covid and the great um resignation i mean i i don't know what i want to do but i don't want to do this and I, you know i'm a little bit rudderless but i don't feel bad about it mm. I think it's so identifiable even today that that first half of the film, the second half of the film when he's just full out stalking her (laughs) is I hadn't looked at it that way before. And I can't tell you why, because the action is clearly there on the screen, but this time around as he's continuing to try to not just disrupt her life, even though they have no real relationship outside of the one and a half dates that they went on or whatever, upsetting is father's practice you know I mean if you think about the fallout from w- what probably would have occurred like
0: would not and happen, that's yeah. okay
2: because these fucking adults are so they're so idiotic and their pursuits are so dumb as the film's trying to explain to us this screening didn't make me like the film less by any stretch but it makes me maybe with just an older lens you know an older mm-hmm. older eyes as I watch it now I don't relate to the parents and think that they're correct, but I do not relate with Ben in a way maybe I did when I was a younger guy. At all,
1: yeah. I don't, I don't find him a very attractive character. I mean, I I can understand, I can identify with certain of his moods, but yeah, I don't, I I agree with you wholeheartedly. That's, uh,
2: I think in '67, when this movie had like this counterculture, younger people going to enjoy cinema and really seeing something in Ben and the satire that's being presented, I. I think if you made this movie now, I don't know if people would relate to him like they might have back then.
0: Anyway. I don't know. There are still people that relate to Rob Gordon in High Fidelity, so you never know. Uh, it could still happen. But overall, deserves its place in the pantheon of American cinema, I think. If, if from like an actual filmmaking perspective, because I think one of the things that we've touched on, but I just want to put a period on, is that this is a film... That uses the medium oh, without to tell yeah. its story yeah. Yeah. in a substantial, a creative, and a very artistic way that was not the norm of the time. Right. No, this was a
1: trailblazing film, the, the, and and the cinematography is is you know critically praised has been ever since it came out for good reason yeah. you, you should if you're at all interested in cinematography if you're at all interested in how to tell stories visually this
0: is a film you should see yeah uh it,
2: it, film history i mean this one just yeah. you gotta
0: see it um local filmmaker friend of the well, somewhat friend of the show chris Olvetta had the same defense of the soundtrack <laughs> that you did uh i only say somewhat friend of the show because when he I tell him we watched a movie for the podcast and he asked me what I thought about it. I'd be like, oh, well, you should listen to the episode. And then he always makes fun of me for saying that. And he <laughs> always gives me shit about it. He's like, well, I'll just tell you what I think about it and not make you yeah. listen to a podcast. And uh, I thought we were friends.
2: You have to give me a plug.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, had the same defense as you did. And also and definite friend of the show, slash former guest, Josh DeLeon, got flamed on Twitter for having not seen it. Uh, after I finished watching it, I tweeted... Just watched The Graduate Mm -hmm. for the first time, and Projectionist Josh, yeah, said Uh, said, I have said said like oh oh like said said worth it question mark still haven't seen it, and Chris responded to him. And then DM'd him to shame him for it. <laughs> He's like, my public shaming of you is not enough. Yeah. I'm going private with this yeah. one. And
2: we all have those haven't seen the film skeletons in our hey, closet. Of course, we sure of course. Do. We There's sure so many do.
0: movies out yeah. there. But yeah. I, had, I had messaged Josh privately to give a very brief idea of how I felt about it. And I was like, yeah, you, can, you, know, you should watch it. Why not? You know, like, right. yeah. You have right. time at five in the morning when your kid wakes you up and stuff. That's what <laughs> he a does point. a lot of movie watching he, then, you know. He, I know he, he does He does have some some extra time open on,
1: on his <laughs> hands now. <laughs> so, before we get to the final closing moments of the episode, I think we need to revisit this beer that we poured into our glass, which it seems like went down very easily yeah. um, as we talked the graduate here, guys. Islander Wave, 4.6% from Lazy Beach Brewing. It's a Kolsch.
0: Was it just as crisp and tasty as we had hoped? It was what it it was what it needed to be. It was it's as it's advertised. advertised. I true. mean, yeah. yeah. A Kolsch is not gonna it's not gonna give you fanfare, it's not gonna give you fireworks or you know, anything like that. It's a true brewer's beer. There's yeah. nothing to hide behind. You just gotta I'll make it, with that. you just gotta make it right.
1: Yeah. And I think they did. Yeah, Lazy Beach has been making some excellent beer. Uh, in the recent past I mean they, they've had a long track record but but the beers that I've been able to get my hands on in the past few months really enjoyed I'm excited to have them deliver such a delicious tribute to the Island University um, with their Islander wave Go
2: I don't have anything to add on this one it's uh, exactly as you say Carlos nothing to hide behind but nothing to hide these, with this beer it's these like... are the kind of beers we need in South
1: Texas Dude. a nice Terrell. clean Kolsch mm-hmm. an incredibly uh, as our, refreshing as our temperatures get into the 90s lime and salt yeah. infused blonde ale man these are these are going to be like great summer drinkers
2: yeah if you aren't from Corpus Christi and are going to ask us which breweries should I visit when I'm in town I think we would all agree that if you had time to go to that many these two Lorelei and Lazy, Lazy, Lazy Beach there. are definitely worth a visit definitely worth a list. Yeah. put them on your list
0: yeah, especially Lazy Beaches Taproom because they're they put new stuff out more than anyone else. They does. do, yeah. No, you're always like, getting like, something and different. And they've turned
2: there. a corner, David. It's some kind of like elevation of their quality in the last six months. They've been on a run.
0: Yeah, yeah they have. They've been on a run. All right. Um well, you know, one of the great things about this podcast is that the conversation doesn't end when the episode ends. It continues on all of your favorite social media platforms. You can find us on Twitter at Beer Movie Show, Instagram at Beer and a Movie, Facebook.com, Slash Beer in Movie TX. Nowadays, Beer in a Movie Podcast.com really does have all of the stuff that you need. It's got a link to our merch. Uh, if you don't want to go to the website, you can just go straight to TeePublic.com, uh, Slash User, Slash Beer in a Movie. It's got these great curated episodes that Joe's put together that are revolve around a certain theme or a director or what have you. All all of our all horror October stuff is there for all you horror hounds out there. Uh, And the Patreon also, or the the uh, website also has a link to the Discord where we're doing all sorts of stuff over there. Yeah, we've we're cultivating this community of uh, beer nerds, movie nerds, meme experts, uh, aficionados, and what have you. Also as we alluded alluded to earlier there is some bonus content that you can access by uh, financially supporting the show $5 a month gets you a bonus episode every single week that's patreon.com/beer and a movie podcast really such a bargain paying okay. what a $1.25 for an extra 30 to 40 40- 50 minutes of content, I mean right. every week. And occasionally week.
1: we let we let you help program we episodes. We let you help program I mean,
0: episodes. On. They were the first ones to have access to the merch. They had the merch before anybody else even knew we had merch. Mm-hmm. Uh all of that good kind of stuff happening over there. And of course, if you're listening to us on Apple Podcast, please rate, review and subscribe. It really goes a long way to helping manipulate that algorithm and to putting us in front of more beer and movie lovers out there. Um really can't stress enough how important that is if you're already listening on that platform um and what um what an educational episode of beer in a movie (laughs) until next time bring us a
1: pitcher of beer every seven minutes until somebody passes out and then bring one every 10 minutes